welcome to Case Dismissed, a podcast that tries to make law fun. Or at the very least, less boring. I'm Karis Williams. I'm Tierney Green. And this week, our recording quality might not be quite as high as it has been previously. <laughs> um, I have misplaced my microphone. Um, it has sprouted legs and walked off. So I have borrowed a headset from a friend and it's a, it's a good headset but I think that's it's not really made for audio recording so it might not be as as high quality ah and and additionally to that I can't decide where I normally put the microphone on my desk so I'm just sort of shuffling it about so between those two things <laughs> probably not gonna be great quality but stick with us guys it's all a learning curve yeah please don't leave us <laughs> yeah we need you now we're we're heavily codependent Okay, so um, there is one very important thing that you need to check. Oh, okay. And that is, are we both definitely recording? <laughs> because I've decided that we're going to do the one that we tried to record before. Oh my god. And the last thing we need is to do this again <laughs> and to have anything missing again. <laughs> yes, because after that point, I would give up and just say, no matter how interesting the case... It's just not worth it. Yeah. Okay, well, I can confirm I'm recording. I have the technical expertise to see these sort of blue lumps on the screen appearing, which I assume are sound waves. We have the technology. Right. Yeah, mine was definitely recording because I sat and watched it um, for the first couple of minutes just to make absolutely sure that it was definitely (laughs) recording. Um, You see, I've got the advantage here in that I can just leave the the program we use which is audacity open on my computer whereas because tierney actually does all the research and the work for these episodes she has to open up to other documents on her screen so you know yes i can't sit and watch the uh, blue things obsessively to make sure that it's definitely still recording uh, it was all right a minute ago so uh, fingers crossed on that front <laughs> okay we'll, we'll just have to take it take it on trust yeah well i, ha- I haven't actually got an extra case at the beginning of this one so this this is um it wasn't necessarily i wasn't trying to set a precedent it was just a couple of times there are going to be sort of similar cases that are more modern that will have come up and i want to talk about it mm-hmm. but in this particular case there, is, there isn't really one this is uh, not an issue that comes up very often <laughs> i will say um c- can you remember anything about what i what we talked about Honest answer? No. As we've established, I have a very poor memory as we just tried to record the intro to the podcast that we do every week and I had completely <laughs> forgotten it. And then you, then you did it again and I was still wrong. And also got it wrong. So, um, no, I can't remember anything about this recording at all. Well, my favourite thing was you saying, um, again, like, wait, I've, I've forgotten the law that, that I have to guess again. <laughs> so I've texted that to you. Yes, and it is a good one. Now you've reminded me. It's not quite as life-changing as whether getting drunk in a pub is legal or illegal, but it this still could be important, guys. Stay tuned. I'm glad I'm glad that you remember the important <laughs> pub one. Hey, that is that's an important one. Right. So having talked about frivolous lawsuits, I want to talk about one that isn't exactly frivolous as it is strange. And this case, um, the reason that I've wanted to do it and why I'm doing it again rather than thinking, oh, we'll just do it in a few months or so, um, is that this case was actually the inspiration for this podcast. So I 
I remember reading about it and thinking, someone's made that up. That's not real. No, it is. <laughs> so, hopefully, you've totally forgotten all of it. So, uh, my jokes will still be funny. <laughs> uh, I, I don't pre-write everything, but I do, I do come up with a couple of things. No, it's an actually spontaneous wit, Tinny. Shh. <laughs> Sorry, have I... Um... You've ruined the, uh, the illusion. Yeah, I don't, I don't even write the background of cases. I just know all this shit and I just talk. <laughs> um, no, no, no. So I'm going to very carefully phrase the dry, boring way of putting this case because I want to wait for the big reveal. Um, not just for you, but also for our dear listeners. So, the claimant wanted rescission on the purchase of a property because the seller and her real estate broker made misrepresentations regarding faults in the property. The seller had made public claims of said faults and was therefore stopped to deny their existence. The dissenting judges held that the principle of caveat emptor should apply and the case should be dismissed as it was in the appeals court, but the Supreme Court of the State of New York held that the buyer could not inspect for such faults and therefore the remedy... Uh, was that of the contract being in a state of rescission and the buyer did not have to buy the house. So that is legalese for the buyer was made aware of faults in a property which the seller had told other people about fairly publicly. So he decided that he didn't want the house anymore um, and then the court decided that he did not have to buy it even though it entered into a contract to buy it. Caveat emptor is Latin for let the buyer beware. I, I don't. It's certainly a, a, a tenet of... US law I don't I've not really come across it in as much in British law but I think it sort of does exist as a vague nebulous concept mm-hmm. so there's not really a specific law that I can go into and explain this is essentially just buying a house and it's contract law it's it's fairly straightforward I don't really think it needs any explanation unless you think it does unless you live in London in which case Buying a house is is a weird, nebulous concept, which is basically unheard of. Yeah, um, that is the mythical version where you might actually ever own the property in which you live. (gasps) There are people that do that. That's that's not a thing. People don't own property. (laughs) She said through through bitter tears. (laughs) (laughs) Not in London, they don't. Um... So yeah, the, let's go into some detail. Jeffrey okay. Stambovsky bought a house from Helen Ackley in 1989. He made a down payment of $32,500 with the house being sold for $650,000. Uh, that is the 2018 equivalent of a deposit of $66,000 and a full cost of over $1.3 million for the house. Oof. To be honest, given where it was, I think that would be a steal (laughs) if you could get it at that price at this point. Looking at old house prices is just so depressing. Uh, Maybe we should just do an entire show on property and how awful the property market is. (laughs) It wouldn't be very funny, but we would get to rant quite a lot. We'll have to do that after our Brexit episode that you keep trying to drag me into. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Well, actually, no, it might be fun to do after Brexit when you'll be able to buy a house for um, six tea bags or whatever. (laughs) No, tea bags will be a very, very rare and sought after food stuff. Oh, no, you know what it'll be? Bananas. Yes. Bendy bananas. Tomatoes. Pebbles. We might just go back to pebble-based currency. Who knows? Well, it used to be peppercorns, but I don't know that we grow those either. Like, we just don't. <laughs> anyway, moving on. <laughs> I started that this time. I know I said you dragged me into it, but I definitely started that one. Yeah, that that was all on you, that, that Brexit moment. 
<laughs> almost like have a degree in European <laughs> studies and actually know how this stuff works. Anyway. <laughs> oh, meow. Yeah. Well, I mean, I do. <laughs> <laughs> so We've had enough of experts, Tony. <laughs> That's a good thing that I'm not an expert in anything in that case. <laughs> Other than weird legal cases and podcasts, obviously, at which we are consummate professionals. Absolutely. We've got, um, this is our fourth entire episode, so now we clearly know what we're doing. Yeah. Right. So, after entering into the contract, Mr. Stambovsky then found out that the house had a reputation in the local area for being haunted. Ooh! So he looked into it further, and he finds out that not only is it haunted, but the seller knew that it was haunted. It had appeared in Reader's Digest in 1977, in the local newspaper in 1982, and even after she had sold the house to him, Ackley took some people on a walking tour of the house and it was once again claimed in the local paper that it was haunted. Dun, dun, dun. So, of course, then Mrs. Sambovsky has a think about it and thinks, you know what? I don't really want to buy a haunted house. Why not? I mean, I would say that actually he's getting more than what he paid for. He's getting free ghosts with his house. Exactly. We've all seen Casper the Friendly Ghost. Well, I'll, I'll get onto the actual ghosts who live in the house in a minute. <laughs> Um, <laughs> the actual ghosts who definitely 100% live in the house. Yeah, they're they ghosts that definitely exist. It's a fact. Just you wait. So, um, he says he, he decides he doesn't want a haunted house for, for whatever reason, but, you know, to each his own. Um, so he asks for his money back and he wants to be released from the contract because he's now been contracted to buy the house. So Ackley claims that he can't do that. And she claims that the reason he can't do that is because ghosts aren't real. I mean... I don't know how that stands up in law, but that is a pretty valid argument. Except that she has been the one who's been claiming that it is haunted. Ah, I see. Okay, okay. Let's go through the history of the house. So it was built in 1890, um, and the Ackleys came into possession of the house in 1960. Do you see what I did there? Possession. <laughs> That's the spirit. <laughs> you know explaining the joke makes it much funnier um, or, or like finding that you didn't laugh immediately I thought I would just point out no it's very droll and I'm glad um, I'm glad you, you told me that it was a joke <laughs> right so the house was in a state of disrepair they were apparently told by local children that it was haunted as well um, Mrs Ackley claimed that there were at least three ghosts in the residence and the three that she knew the most about were a Navy lieutenant from the American Civil War and a married couple named Sir George and Lady Margaret who had lived in the region in the 18th century. She claimed to have seen Sir George floating in midair when she was painting the ceiling so, you know, naturally she asked him if he liked the colours and he apparently nodded and smiled so um, the ghosts have actually had an input essentially into the decor of the house <laughs> at least at one stage. So really, you know, you can't, you couldn't evict ghosts. They seem like they must come as part of the property. Um, she told neighbours that they would frequently hear phantom footsteps and slamming doors. Uh, when her daughter was a child, she claimed that she would be woken most mornings by spirits shaking her bed. But when she didn't have school the next day, she would loudly announce that she didn't have to get up the next morning and they would let her sleep in. Which, I mean, they sound pretty considerate house guests. I was going to say, they sound great. For 1.3 million, I mean, can't go wrong. Exactly. So um, she said that they would leave gifts of trinkets for her children and for her grandchildren, which would then later disappear. And her daughter said that as an adult, she was given some silver sugar tongs. Right. <laughs> yeah. What a load of rubbish. <laughs> so you, you, you don't believe this, Karis? 
I mean, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, her son said that he came, and I quote, eyeball to eyeball with the Navy lieutenant. So what do you think of that? Well, I can't possibly argue with proof of, of that kind of... <laughs> Caliber. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. um, so a lot of these quotes are taken from the Reader's Digest article, which was then... I don't have access to that article, but it was quoted in the New York Times after this case uh, went to court. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the names of the couple, the ghost couple, of course, that is, um, come from a book which was published in 1995 by a paranormal researcher and a medium. Uh, they're two separate people, in case you were wondering. Um, they claimed that the ghosts had since been in touch to discuss this case, because obviously, you know, anyone who's involved in these kind of cases does tend to give interviews after the fact. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm just uh, I'm trying. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to be as neutral as possible. <laughs> You're doing a very good job. Yeah, making fun of them. So, um, back to the case. Uh, Mrs. Ackley had claimed that the ghosts were harmless and they lived in peaceful coexistence with the poltergeists. Clearly, Mr. Stambovsky just didn't really want to risk it. So it ended up in court because they refused to refund him the money and they said he'd entered into a contract and he had to honour it. So this case gets all the way to the Supreme Court, um, where it is eventually decided that as he wasn't a local resident, he couldn't be expected to know the local folklore. Is that the Supreme Court of the United States or the Supreme Court of New York? The state of New York. Okay. Quite how that works, I'm not entirely sure. I would imagine that it can go through state Supreme Court and you could then go to the Supreme Supreme Court. I think that that is how it works. Mm -hmm. The Supreme Court is where the book stops in theory yeah Um, the most famous line from the final judgment is this whether the source of the spectral apparitions seen by defendant seller are parapsychic or psychogenic having reported their presence in both a national publication reader's digest and the local press in 1977 and 1982 respectively the defendant is a stopped to deny their existence and as a matter of law the house is haunted So, clearly the judges had an absolute whale of a time writing this judgment, because I'm not kidding, it's absolutely packed with ghost puns. Oh, excellent. Are they are they as good as the uh, two we've had so far this podcast? <laughs> Pretty tough act to follow. I think you should be the judge. <laughs> so, um, before I get onto the puns, I'm just going to uh, say stopped. I said stopped. I didn't say stopped. I mean stopped. Um, oh yes, I was going to ask about that. Um, no, it's, that's not me trying to do a really weird Spanish accent or something. That is, um, it's a legal term um, of estoppel. It basically just means can't do that. Oh. So defendant cannot deny their existence um, because you've said that you have re- you've reported their presence, so you, they exist as far as the law is concerned. So no, basically. No. Yeah. So as a matter of law, the house is haunted. <laughs> I want that on a t-shirt I bet that is on a t-shirt I bet if we google that that's on a t-shirt and they can be bought from uk. Karis now I'm going to have to create a, a shop on the website <laughs> you're asking too much there is there is no shop right um, so ghost ponds no divination is required to conclude that it is defendant's promotional efforts in publicising her close encounters with these spirits, <laughs> which foster the home's reputation in the community. Um, the notion that a haunting is a condition which can and should be ascertained upon reasonable inspection of the premises is a hobgoblin, which should be exercised from the body of legal precedent <laughs> and laid quietly to rest. <laughs> 
In his pursuit of a legal remedy for fraudulent misrepresentation against the seller, plaintiff hasn't a ghost of a chance. Huh. I am nevertheless moved by the spirit of equity to allow the buyer to seek rescission of the contract of sale and recovery of his down payment. <laughs> so, I think that's the kind of case I would want to, I would want to do, I would want to... Um, that is amazing. Yeah, I, th- I think that they must have got, c- come up with this case and gone, oh no, I, I have to, I can't. I can't do this. Um, this is actually, if you look up Ghostbusters case, this is what comes up. <laughs> <laughs> this is actually like, um, on Wikipedia, it, it, a redirect from um, Ghostbusters case. It's actually Stambowski and Ackley, because obviously that's their names. Mm. Um, but yeah, Ghostbusters case. If you put that in on Wikipedia, it comes up. It's Ghostbusters case. I'm calling it Ghostbusters case. Oh, name for this episode. Who are you going to call? <laughs> Who are you going to call? Was that what you just said? Yeah. Yes. Is that, is that what you were going to say? Yeah. That's yep. what called. Great minds. So basically they said, no, it wasn't fraudulent misrepresentation. However, the seller clearly believed that the house is haunted and she herself was the one creating that idea in the community. So if you, the buyer, believe it, and so does she, she can't claim it isn't true and you don't have to buy the house. They also said that this was in part because no reasonable person would go around asking people if it was haunted or not. Mm, so it's not covered by caveat emptor. No, because no reasonable person would go around asking people if the house was haunted or not. Because, I mean, you wouldn't, would you? Like, you don't go around to the neighbour's house and go, hi, excuse me. Um, So this house next door, um, I have some questions about it. Firstly, have you ever heard, like, wailing in the early hours of the morning? (laughs) Do we know if it is on some sort of ancient burial ground that's going to cause me some issues later on? Oh, no, I don't mean about having it excavated. I mostly mean about haunting. Like, you're not going (laughs) to... You're not going to ask people that. It's just not going to happen. No. So, their reasoning, the judge's reasoning, was that it would negatively affect the value of the house, um, which has actually turned out to be somewhat untrue. No, it's probably pushed its value up even higher. Yeah. So, it was sold in 2016 for just under $1.8 million. Oof. For context, that's about $600,000 more than comparable houses in the area, which does mean that it's gone up with inflation to roughly exactly what we said. So 650000 in 1989 is about $1.3 million now, and it's about $1.2 million is in comparable houses in the area. So that's actually stayed quite consistent with inflation. That's quite that's surprising, actually. In the interest of full disclosure... Subsequent owners um, said that they haven't experienced any paranormal activity. However, that couple I was telling you about who wrote the book about the house said that Sir George and Lady Margaret didn't like the new tenants and they were thinking of moving on. (laughs) Um, Helen herself said after the case that she was going to move and that she was going to take the ghosts with her. So perhaps that's actually what happened. Oh, that is a nice coincidence. Yeah. So that is (laughs) Stambowski and Ackley. The abiding phrase that's always stuck with me is, as a matter of law, this house is haunted. Um, that's actually why... On t-shirts, yeah. on uk. <laughs> you have to make that. I'm not doing it. You have to make it. Oh, okay. Guys, there are no t-shirts. <laughs> there we are. That's, that's how I do things. <laughs> so um, this is why there are certain places in America where you will see little signs on um, real estate that say, not haunted. Oh. Do you ever see haunted signs, though? Probably not. That's what I want to know. I don't know, actually. I've not, I've not seen one. If you, have, if you have seen one, uh, please take a picture of it and send it to us at uh, podcast at gmail.com. Can you guys tell that we just sorted out our social media prior to recording this episode? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I'm not I'm not sold on our Twitter handle, but um, it was an absolute pain. Yes, getting getting one that works because case dismissed. Um, somebody who's ne- who doesn't look like they've ever used the account hasn't been on it in like five years. They have the username, but we can't have it because they've already got it. Yeah. Even though, like, we, we need it and they don't need it. They're an awful person. Yeah. I want that on record. Exactly. But then Case Dismissed Podcast is too long. It's like, that's far too many characters. So, but CD Podcast, obviously, because CD stands for various things, um, it's all taken. So we've had to go with Case Dis Podcast. And don't try and act like that's not a catchy Twitter handle, because it obviously is. It was the best we could do. Um, answers are a postcard us for something better, but that's uh, that's what we've got. There. Yes, we're open to change. Exactly. So, are you ready to find out our true or false law for this week that you've forgotten until I texted it to you earlier? <laughs> As you can tell, I've been on the edge of my seat. <laughs> you wanted to know, in North Carolina... Can bingo games last more than five hours? And I said... True. True. You said. I said true. Yeah, you said that it would be some sort of um, gaming... gambling law thing. ...license issue. Yes. So, it is actually true. Yay! Yes! You're good at this. You're like you've got it. You've got them all right so far. You need to work on. Uh... I was gonna say I'm on a hundred percent. Definitely not luck at all. All skill. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure. So, uh, sub chapter eleven of the General Police Regulations, Article Thirty Seven: Lotteries, Gaming, Bingo, and Raffles, Section Fourteen, Paragraph Three Hundred Nine Point Eight. Limit on sessions. The number of sessions of bingo conducted or sponsored by an exempt organisation shall be limited to two sessions per week, and such sessions must not exceed a period of five hours each per session. No two sessions of bingo shall be held within a 48-hour period of time. No more than two sessions of bingo shall be operated or conducted in any one building, hall or structure during any one calendar week, and if two sessions are held, they must be held by the same exempt organisation. The section shall not apply to bingo games conducted at a fair or other exhibition conducted pursuant to Article 45 of Chapter 106 of the General Statutes. Wow, they take bingo really seriously in North Carolina. <laughs> Apparently they do. Um, there, there will be some sort of reason for the bingo. Yeah, it's a, it's a gateway drug, bingo. <laughs> We don't want to create gambling addicts. Exactly. You start off with bingo and soon you're, you know, injecting smack into your eyeballs. <laughs> I assumed it was more like a gambling thing. So eventually you start off with bingo and then eventually you're like hardcore in Las Vegas and you've lost all your <laughs> money and you sold your car and your house to pay for more black- blackjack, is it? I, I don't really gamble. I don't know if that's obvious. No, I don't, I don't know. So, you ready for the next one? Yes. In Texas... You need a permit to attempt to control the weather. Oh, wow. I don't know. This is a tricky one. Because I do know there are, I think, if you're incredibly rich and you want to have like a cloudless birthday party or something, you can get planes to move clouds or something like that. Hmm. I'm going to say no. You think it's false? I think it's false. I don't think you need a permit to control the weather specifically. Okay, well, find out next week on Case Dismissed. 
Oh, the suspense. I feel under such pressure now. <laughs> Are you going to remember it this time, though? Uh, probably not, but, you know, I still want to be right. That's the important thing here. <laughs> it's not about whether I remember it or whether I've paid any attention. It's about whether my <laughs> random guess was right or not. <laughs> that is exactly right, Tony. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys, you've been listening to Case Dismissed with Karis Williams. And Steena Green. Follow us on our brilliant Twitter handle, Case Dis Podcast. Our logo was created by uh, Blueberry Me Creations. That is Donya Hill. And our website is www.casedismissed.co.uk. Yeah, and if you have anything that you want to tell us about, including whether we should include more ghost puns in future, <laughs> then if the spirit moves you, you should uh, email us at casedismissedpodcast at gmail.com. That's all till next week. Yeah, we do have personal Twitters, but they're not very interesting, so you can't. That's have... not all till next week. <laughs> yeah. We do, yeah, we do have personal Twitter accounts, but uh, they're not very interesting, so they're not going to go on. I don't think I've ever tweeted on mine. I have. I created it to follow one person. Who was it? It was Mesh. Oh really? I was. I thought you were going to say David Mitchell. No, no, it was Mesh because he blackmailed me because he wanted more followers. So. That is the sole reason it was created. I think I also follow Stephen Fry and Kim Kierkegaard, which is an excellent mashup of Kim Kardashian tweets with uh, the brilliant philosopher Kierkegaard. Yeah, you mean Kim Kierkegaardashian? Oh, I do, yeah. Can you tell that I haven't been on Twitter for quite a long time? (laughs) Well, you should go on and follow me at least so I have one extra follower. Um. Yeah, or our own podcast Twitter. Yeah, actually, forget me. You should follow our podcast. (laughs) Which will bring our followers up to um, three. It might be four, actually. I think um, a couple of people I know where I said, can you follow it, please? They've done it. <laughs> so. Well, there we are. I mean, you know, it's the, the place to be on Twitter right now. So um, tune in next week and we will see you then. And finally, a quick thanks to all of those who help support the podcast, which includes Sunstar Designs, who designed our website and host the podcast, Blueberry Creations, who designed our logo, and then our theme tune is Fretless by Kevin MacLeod. And finally, a reminder that this podcast is for entertainment purposes only, and nothing in it constitutes legal advice. Thanks, and see you next week.